as possible. I just want to give you that heads up at the outset. Psalms 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So I'm going to use that as a spring, springboard for our discussion today. And again, we're talking about singles and whole. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. So very clearly, the first thing we must establish for all of our singles, and this teaching is not just for singles. If you're a parent and you have a single person living in your home, you need to be aware of what we are talking about today because it will help you to give proper counsel and guidance to your young people. Amen? Now, marriage is a very beautiful institution ordained by God and for God. Now, I, I need to say that again. I say marriage is an institution that God ordained and primarily, first and foremost, for God. Now, we don't hear that too, too often because when we go to marriage seminars, we talk about couples, we're looking at what comes to us. We're looking at us, us, us. How can I be better as a husband? How can I be better as a wife? How can I have a great marriage? But you need to understand the genesis of marriage to begin with, and I'm going to address that in a minute. Ordained by God and for God, and as with everything as God does, me and you get a chance to enjoy the benefits of it. That's how we get involved. Amen? Now, for any young person considering marriage, you must first of all understand the reason and the purpose of your creation. If you don't understand that, you're most likely going to make bad decisions that's going to cost you a lot of grief. So, my first advice for any single contemplating marriage is you must understand what I call the four chapter gospel. Pastor Shina minister along those lines, I believe, uh, was it last week? Or, no, a couple of weeks ago. And we addressed it fully on a T3 seminar. The four chapter gospel defines four critical dimensions of God's plan for mankind. First chapter addresses things the way they were before the fall. And in that chapter, God clearly expresses desire for relational partnership. You must understand that. You were created uniquely for a purpose in God's kingdom in which God is calling you and I to come into relational partnership with him and has uniquely gifted us for that relationship and partnership. Chapter 2, man fell into sin. And as a result of that fall into sin, we were removed, or shall I say, we were deterred, or we were affected, we were hindered, impeded from being able to accomplish chapter 1 relational partnership. So the fall of sin, or rather the fall into sin, impeded us 
from being able to be all that God intended from the beginning. Chapter 3. Jesus came for the express purpose of reconnecting back us, reconnecting us back to the original intent, relational partnership with God. Chapter 4, there will be a restoration of all things, when all things will be made new. In other words, we're not just living for now, we are living for now and for a future. Amen? So the understanding of this four-chapter gospel helps any person, and in particular the singles, to understand the reason for being alive. God created you and I for relational partnership out of his love for us and he's calling us to be in relationship with him so that we can walk alongside him and, come and, and accomplish his great purpose on the earth. That's why you were made. That's why you were created. That's the reason for your existence. Now, we're talking about being single and whole. To be whole means to be complete and to be well. To be complete and to be well. You must understand what happened. Because all of us that were born since Adam, we were born into a fallen state. And in that fallen state, we became incomplete and we became not whole. The clear demonstration of this is by looking at children that are born today. Any kids, anybody born since Adam. Because of the funny, because of the fact that we, 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 we're all born into a fallen state of fallen nature. Kids are born with birth defects. They've never sinned. They didn't do anything wrong. Genetics disorder. Special needs. All kind of obvious physical things happen to children at birth for which there's no other explanation whatsoever other than the fact that we were all born since Adam into a fallen state. David cried out in Psalms 51 verse 5. He said, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I'm taking my time here because this is important. Now, I remember uh, 26 years ago, Faith was born. And my wife and I were at home. We got a phone call from the hospital at Georgia Baptist Hospital downtown. Within a few days of his birth. And he said that the valve in his heart was not uh, closed. And they had to have surgery. This boy was what? How many days old? About five, six days old. What did he do to deserve that? How can you explain that for a child that's barely born into this world and needed the surgery to correct some defect in his heart? Thank God it was done, it was successful, and the rest is history. But this is my point. When we have children born with physical and obvious birth defects, we immediately do all we can, all that's available to us, to address and mitigate the lasting effect of those, effect, of those defects. Is that not correct? What we fail to reckon with 
is that even though there are obvious defects that we are readily able to cope with or deal with, we totally forget there are many, that all of us have other defects that are obvious. Some of us is the perplexity for alcohol. No, you did not get it when you were, after you were here 10, 15 years, it came with you. Others is the tendency to be a womanizer or sexual addiction or whatever the thing is. These are all consequences of a fallen world. So for some, maybe they are born blind, they were born crippled, they have a lameness in their leg and we see that it's obvious. But others of us, we carry it and we don't even know. We don't know. And those defects show up in our lives much later. And we are wondering, how did this happen? Where did this come from? It had been there all along. It just needed time to, uh, to develop and to manifest itself. So all of us were born as incomplete, sin-defected entities as a result of what happened to Adam. Are you following me so far? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Let me, let me just read that. Romans 5, 12. This is what it says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. All of us were dead. We were all zombies walking around. Every last one of us. You are breathing, but you are dead if you are not born again. Because all sinned. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of, type of him who was to come. Okay? Verse 17, I'm just jumping here. Verse 17, Romans 5, 17, 4. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Christ. So, first of all, understand what I'm saying to you. We all came here with a deficit as a result of sin. John chapter 9 verse 1. Remember the guy that came to Jesus who was blind from his mother's womb and they were asking him, who sinned? Who sinned? Why, why is this man? Why was he born blind? That's as a result of the fallen state of mind. Amen? Now, on top of the fact that we come here with all kinds of issues already. Now picture yourself as a single, engaging in relationships with different men or women. And they are speaking to different aspects of who you are. Things are happening in that relationship. Some are good, some are bad. And what happens over time, you find out that you've left pieces of yourself all over the place. Based on all those relationships. So that's a compounded effect on the original effect of sin. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. This is the reason Jesus came. And this is the reason we are addressing this as singles and whole. Jesus came to restore us, to redeem us, to give us a chance and to make us whole again as God intended. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 10, 
that in him, Jesus, we are complete. Jesus' coming is to make us whole, to make us complete, and to put us back to the, together so we can be back to the original state that God ever intended for mankind. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So that's why for those singles who are contemplating marriage and they are not born again, you are looking for serious trouble. Number one. Number two, if you are born again and you are hooking up with a man or woman who is not born again, then you are looking for double trouble. Now, for you that are born again, and you may be looking at a man or a woman that is born again, you must understand that you are coming into a relationship already trying to understand and try or trying to uh, 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 come to grip with the fact that you were born as a person with defects. When you became born again, the Bible tells us, if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So yes, at the point you became born again, you became new. No doubt about that. But there are some things about this new mind in you that you have to learn, you have to come to grip with to understand how to manifest. If you don't renew your mind and learn about this thing, you will not live up to who you are now, your real new identity. So now, let me talk about being whole. And I'm saying this, that every person contemplating marriage, if you are a single person, your first goal must be to live as a whole, complete entity. You, you must understand that. You want, to be, you want to be as whole as possible. You want to manifest as being whole as possible. What does that look like? What does it look like to say, I'm born again, I'm whole. I'm born again, I'm complete. Well, being whole means I have a solid relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I know that's Christianese. Now let me put that Christianese down. Because everybody says, yeah, I have a relationship, I'm born again. Yeah. So what does it mean? What does it mean? As with everything else, if I have a relationship with someone, then I must be spending regular quality time with them. So number one on the list of being whole and complete is I am spending time with God in the word and in prayer on a regular basis. If that is not happening and you're a single person, you are on your way to being whole, you're not whole yet. Number two, I understand and believe that God loves me unconditionally. You must settle that. Because you see, if you don't settle that issue, you'll be looking for love in the wrong places. You expect a man or a woman to give you love, something that only God can give you. So you must come to that place out of relationship with God where you understand that God loves you unconditionally. Whether you're short or tall, big or slitter. It does not matter. You have pimples on your face, freckles on your face. No matter how you're walking with a limb, you're walking with a heart. No matter how you look, you must come to that place where you're totally, completely confident in God's love towards you. Number three, and this is huge. 
You must come to understand and believe that God is your source to meet all the needs in your life. Spiritual, emotional, and physical. God has to be the source. You cannot be looking at your partner, the person you're hooking up with for your source of joy. Come on. They can't give that to you. No. Everything you get must originate and start with God. Now, if God now gives you a man or a woman who appreciates you and affirms you, that's a plus. That's a plus. Amen? Number four. For a person that's complete and whole, you must derive all your priorities and values solely from the word of God. <laughs> that is huge because we are living in a day and time when the culture determines the value. Okay, let me say that again. I said we are living in a time where the societal value, societal culture, the culture around us, what's happening around us, Hollywood, Las Vegas, news, social media is telling us what is right and what's wrong. And if you're not careful, if you're not grounded, if you're not whole, if you're not complete, you take those things as correct. No. If you're complete and whole, you must only accept what God has established are the norms and the values. And lastly, I want to know if I'm whole or complete. When I'm whole and complete, I'm no longer moved nor act based on my emotions. I'm no longer moved nor do I act based on my emotions when I'm whole and complete. Amen? Now, so we talked about knowing our purpose. We are called into relational partnership with God. We've defined what being whole means. Now, let's move a little forward here and ask or talk about asking the tough questions. So now, I'm assuming now you're single, you're whole, you understand the relational partnership that God has called you into, you are living for all of that. Now, there's a, there's a prospect, a man or a woman that you may be interested in. There are certain tough questions you need to ask before you go any further. Are you ready? Yes. My goodness. The way you guys are saying yes. <laughs> I'm truly motivated. Praise God. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Number one question you must ask. What is the history of this person's decisions? What is the history of this person's decisions? You see, because when you marry someone, you are not just marrying a personality, you are marrying character. And character is always revealed by the quality of the decisions we make. So you need to be asking, what kind of decisions have they made or are they making? Amen. How did you decide where to go to school? 
How do you decide what kind of job you're taking? How do you decide whether you're going to go eat, study, pray? Tell me about your decision-making process. When they went to buy a car, how did they determine whether to get a brand new, what we call, quote-unquote, tear rubber 2018? <laughs> or pre-leased, pre-owned 2017-2016? What, what, what factored into that decision? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, because immediately you begin to, to, to ask those questions, you begin to get a revelation of who you're talking to. Things that would not normally show up, they would, they, you, things that would not normally show up if you are not prepared to ask the right questions or the tough questions. Number two, number two question. Whose voice do they respect and trust? Oh, my, 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 let me say that one more time. Whose voice does this person respect and trust? You see, that reveals a lot about the individual you are hooking up with. And when there is no one they trust or respect, that's even a bigger flag. Pick your bag if you're a woman and run. Run as far as you can get to it. Whose voice do they respect and trust? Yeah. Big question. Because it then will come where you may have to talk to that person or you may have to tell them, listen, if we can't get this resolved, then we need to go to X, Mr. XYZ. The voice they trust and respect. But if there's no such person, you're already on the fringes. The relationship will not work. Because what that tells me is, if there's no one in our lives that we all trust and respect, that means you're a lone ranger. That means you've not understand the, 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 the honor that God has built within his word. That's a huge violation that's going to show up big time in the relationship up front. Because if they don't honor and trust uh, if they don't have a person that they honor, trust, or respect in the relationship, that's a manifestation to me that they don't really honor, trust, and respect God. Number three question. What is their daily routine? What is their daily routine? You see, because if you show me your daily routine... I can show you where you'll be 10 years from now. Because we know that the secret of success is found in daily routine. You see, you do not become a success in a day. Rather, you success, you're, you're a success daily. Did, did, I, did I say that right? Did you get that right? Yeah. You're not going to arrive and just say, I'm successful today, just like that. No. Success does not come in a day. But you sow in the seeds of success daily by the things you do every day. Yeah. Every day. So I want to know your daily routine. So we're having dinner. I'm talking to this guy or this lady. Or you, you're talking to this. Tell me, uh, Joe, uh, when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? How do you start your day? You don't have to sit down with them and say, I'm going to ask you a tough question. I'm going to ask you. No, you don't have to say that. Just say to them, 
Hey, man, how, how do you spend your day? Tell me, when you wake up in the morning, how, how, you, spend, how, you, how you go through your day? And the guy says, well, I wake up in the morning, I get my phone, I look, look at social, Facebook, and ah, okay. All right. So you wake up to Facebook, good, good, good. That'll be the last dinner we go to. <laughs> no. What, are, what incremental investments for success are they making daily? What are they looking at? What are they reading? Who are they speaking to? How much time are they spending talking to whoever, who, who that person is? Are they praying, reading the word every day? What are they doing every day? Listen, it does not matter what a man says to you or a woman says to you. They can sweet talk you and tell you about this grandiose plan they have in the future, how in the next 10 years, after all, they're going to be the next president of the United States, or Barack Obama made it, and yes, Donald Trump made it. Yeah, I can make it. I'm going to be the next president. Really? Show me how you're going to do it. Show me. Oh, I'm going to be the next uh, Tom Brady. I'm going to be the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. Really? Show me. You show me by what you do today. So those are three tough questions that we must ask. Again, number one, what's the history of this person's decisions? Every decision they've made up to now, has it been successful? Or do they make a decision that blows up in their face every time? And now they're asking you to marry them. You're going to be the last decision they make that's going to blow up again. <laughs> Whose voice do they respect and trust? You need to ask. And you need to look at the person. If they have a person that they trust and respect, you need to look at that person. Or that, you need to take that person through the same model. Okay, so the trust and respect X, Y, Z. What's their life like? What decision have they make? You need, you need to check that out. Because they may give you a name. But giving you a name does not mean that that name is something that's substantial that you want to live with. Amen? And then, of course, what's their daily routine? Now, let me tell you this. Marrying the wrong person can derail a person's destiny. Because marriage is the only thing that you and I are called to participate in and we get the certificate before we even start. Marriage certificate. And then you get married, you scramble it. I know a person, uh, incredible prayer warrior, this guy, years ago, true story, uh, had a great, great life ahead of him. I mean, this guy was a significant, at least we thought, very solid prayer warrior back then. The early days of the church. And was going to marry this young lady. And uh, all the, all up till the day before the marriage, we were questioning if this is really valid. In fact, a lady came up to us maybe a day or two before the marriage and, said, and, and challenged me and said to me, and said, this guy who is going to marry this other woman is in fact my, my husband. 
That's how terrible this one was. She said she received the revelation that the guy was supposed to marry her, marry her, not the person that she is going to marry in a couple of days. Wow. The person who said this was not the careless person that I can just hear it and take it for granted. Okay? So what I had to do, I called a gentleman and said, man, this is, this, is what, this, is what's, this is what I'm hearing. Are you sure that this is it or should it be this one? <laughs> I asked him. You remember the story? Long story short, that entire situation was just, it became a big mess. Not because of the third party, no. Uh, until this day, I just question where there's some things that we really missed. Because that guy totally became, uh, he, he backslid, he went into serious drinking, uh, messed up his life, uh, ultimately had to leave the country. And as I speak right now, he's a taxi driver in Benin City. Now, being a taxi driver is not a bad thing. That's not what, that's not what I mean by that. Please, you need to understand that. Let me, let me qualify that. That... that what it does now is not the issue I'm making. The point I'm making is it went from this incredible place because this man is called and made for ministry. I'm telling you, he's called and made for ministry. And right now as we speak, he's not been able to do ministry because he made one bad decision too many. May God help us that you and I don't find ourselves in that kind of situation in Jesus' name. Now, so you've asked the tough questions and maybe this person passed those tough questions. So you are scaling through. You're single, you're whole. You understand your relational partnership with God. You understand that we all came in with a deficit. You understand that Jesus Christ has been made, uh, he's been sent rather, to complete us, to redeem us so we can be complete and be whole in him. You've asked the tough questions and this person seems to be, oh, wise. check, check, check. Good. So now let's talk about how you recognize your mate. And we're going to have some questions after I, after I, finish, I finish this talk, okay? You recognize if this person is the right person by their faces. Faces. Yeah, I know some of some say faces. Yeah, faces, plural. In the Hebrew, the word for face is faces. Because the Hebrew understood that all of us have different faces for different people and different situations. So, when some of you come to talk to me, you have one face on. When that same person goes to talk to Revelation, they have another face on. When that person goes to talk to Brother Dai or Alex, Abidako, they have a different face on. So, depending on where you are, you wear different faces or masks. You get it? So, now let's use the word faces, F-A-C-E-S, as an acronym and break it down. 
So, in considering this individual as a future marriage partner, the first thing you want to check into is for F, family background. Family background. Why? Because the fruit does not fall too far from the tree. The nurture we received or lack thereof has significant bearings on our outlook in life. Family background. So is this person coming from a family that's all together made at 5.30 p.m. is dinner time, mother, father, four kids sit on the table, they eat dinner, they wash dishes, they have devotion. I mean, what kind of family background are they in? Or is it a family where you go in there and get your stuff and go to your room and, and you do your thing? Huge. You need to know. Because when you get married, you are not just marrying the man or the woman, you are marrying the family. Ah, you guys are not talking to me. Hey, hey. You are married the family, either, either because you, you interact with them, or if you don't interact with them, the man or the woman you marry is calling them. So you have to find out what's the family background. How many people in your family has been diagnosed with a, a mental disorder? <laughs> now, you're not going to see the person there and say, well, are there people that mentally deranged their family? <laughs> God will give you the wisdom where you don't have to ask like that. But you're on a fishing expedition. You want to know what is the composition of this family? What are the values of this family? What kind of things as a family do you guys embrace? You have to know. You have to know. If it's a family background where divorce is a common place and they don't take relationships seriously and everybody just says, ah, if it doesn't work, just go get the next one. If that's the kind of family you marry into, you are in trouble. Yeah. But if you marry into a family where they espouse a good, solid relationships and they understand that things may get hard, things may get tough, but we weather the storm, we hang in there, and we trust God for it, then you understand that that human being you marry from that family has a better chance of knowing how to stand when things are tough. My sister, my older sister, uh, when she got married years ago, uh, a few months after the marriage, she was having issues in her home. And I remember she, she, she came home. She just left her husband's house and came to my father's house. This was in Nigeria. And my father said, oh, what are you, uh, how are you doing? Da, 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 you know? And she says, she's fine. Ah, 
So he didn't say anything for the first one hour. <laughs> because maybe he thought maybe she was just visiting. <laughs> one hour went to two hours, she's still there. Two hours went to three hours, she stayed there. Three hours went to four hours, ah. So he said, well, Madam, come, what is good? <laughs> Are, are you going back home tonight? She said, no. Excuse me? You are not doing what she said? I'm not going. So why? And then she started all this talk about how this man is this and this man is that. And my father asked her one question. I will not forget it. Because I was right there. She, he asked her just one question. And the question was, did you agree to marry this man? And as she was pondering that, he asked her a follow-up question, did I force you to marry him? <laughs> I'm standing there, listening to this line of questioning, and I'm watching my sister. And of course she concluded that that was her choice, and nobody forced her, so my father said, good. Since nobody forced you, nobody's gonna, uh, nobody's gonna accept you, I'm just gonna take you back in the car and take you back there. And that's exactly what they did. They are still married today. Yeah. They're still married today. Now, I said that to say, if my father had believed in fracturing relationships, if he did not have a firm position on marriage, and that marriage is once and for all, forever, he would readily have encouraged her and say, okay, don't, don't worry about him. We're going to do that. And just, it will have been over. It will have been over. So you need to know the family background. Number two, recognizing your mate. Number two, attitude. That's the A for faces. A for family, A for attitude. I cannot tell you how big this is. The attitude of a person is the prophetic revelation of who they are. Forget what they are saying. Listen, I'm telling you, just don't close your ears. Don't listen to what they are saying. Watch their eye language. Have you ever entered the elevator and a man or a woman enters and you know right away things are not fine? They didn't say anything. They don't have to say anything. Because the attitude of a person precedes them. Attitude. Yeah. Attitude. So watch the attitude. You are driving in the car with them. Watch the attitude when somebody cuts them off. Watch the attitude. You are eating dinner with them. The waiter mess up your order. Watch their attitude. You see, those things you cannot conceal. I can consider, hey, honey, I love you. Hey, honey, you can. But when somebody, you wait, okay. My wife and I, we just we had lunch with a, uh, a, a friend. Uh, when was it? On Tuesday. <laughs> From the moment we sat down till the moment we left, they didn't get anything right. First, they brought cutlery that was all they wrapped in napkin, and and you open a napkin, and all the cutlery were all soiled. I mean, they were all. Just like somebody finished eating and they wrapped it up and brought it to us. Yeah. We went through that. Then we placed an order for chicken wings. They brought shrimps. <laughs> True story. True story. We went through that. 
I ordered baked potatoes. They brought me sweet potatoes. True story. Am I talking? All in one sitting, one day. This past Tuesday. So each one of those things were potential for attitude revelation. And I'm saying to you as a single, that's what you should be looking at. Forget what it drives. Don't be caught up what, she, what she's driving or what he's driving, what kind of job he has, what kind of job she has. I'm telling you what you're going to live with after you marry them is attitude. If they cannot cope with a waiter that messes up the order when you order the food in the restaurant, they are not going to cope with you when you, when you marry them. So number one, family. Number two, attitudes. Number three, compactibility. How compatible are you financially? Now, when I say financially, this is what I mean by that. The way you handle money. If both of you are heavy, big spenders, you're compatible, but you're looking for bankruptcy. <laughs> One is making it, the other is just spending it. <laughs> Honey, how much money we got? Oh, I spent it all. <laughs> You're gonna find out very quickly that money and love, there's some there's a relationship. <laughs> no, but seriously, compatibility financially. Do you guys think alike, or are you guys at least do you understand where he is and where she is when it comes to money and how you deal or handle money? It does not mean that you, have, you guys have to be in total, complete agreement. It's just that you must understand it and be willing to live with it. Compactibility is about culturally. Culturally. And it's just not a matter of uh, uh, a white man marrying a black woman. That's not the issue. That's, that's, that's there, but it's not just that. Even within the United States. You were raised in New York as opposed to being raised in Mississippi. Mississippi. In New Yorker and in Mississippian. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, understand that. Understand the differences. You may be one that's very hospitable. Your house is an open house. Anytime, nobody needs to call to come. Just open the door, they're all there. Oh, you guys are here today, praise God. Let's have a good time. Order pizza, Coke, great time. But if your partner is not like that, so you must, be, you must understand your spiritual, um, your financial compatibility, your cultural compatibility, and then of course, spiritual. Spiritual. That can bring a lot of frustration. If one party... It's responding to God's love, on fire. I mean, just loves God, wants to serve, wants to be a blessing, and the other one is just totally, completely lukewarm. There's always going to be tension in that relationship. Because you're trying to go one way, and they're going to say, ah, oh, come on, it doesn't take all of that. You need to know this going in. Mentally, same thing. Huge. Because I'm telling you, beyond just having a nice time, nice dinner, being intimate, beyond all of that, there has to be some level of mental compatibility. After all of that, he said, what are you talking about? Wow. 
you are, maybe one of you is able to talk on any given subject at any time, and the other person just, they're not interested. That's going to create a lot of problems. There has to be some level of mental compatibility. Amen? And then, of course, we must be compatible in our values. Values. What are we looking to make out of life based on the relational partnership that we both have with God? Must be established. Lastly, experience. No, not lastly. Number, number four, experience. So, family, attitude, compatibility, experience. Experience meaning, where have they been? Where have they been? <laughs> Greg, where have they been? Is it because you just don't marry a person, you marry everywhere and everything that they've been? Where have they been? Experience. What have they accomplished? What have they done? Now, it does not mean that you have to judge them based on what they've done or not done. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm just saying is you need to be aware. You need to know. And you must be willing and ready to deal or embrace whatever experience or lack thereof that they bring to the table. At least it's not going to be a shock any longer. You deal with that head on, go into the relationship. And lastly, let, let, let me say one more thing about this. This is your experience. And this happens to all of us. Whenever something happens in a relationship, maybe I am speaking to my wife about something that we are talking about. I'm, I'm talking to her. And she may respond in a way that I said that I'm thinking, what I mean, what is she responding to? I just said this thing that is so simple that I mean it's this I, if I say this anytime anybody else would take it, no problem. But when I said it to her in this particular case, at this particular time, boom, she goes off. And I'm wondering, my goodness, what did I do? Or it could be this, it could be the other way around. She may say something to me that's totally harmless, totally innocent. And when I respond to her, I'm, I'm blowing the fuse. And she's wondering, my goodness, what did I do? Oh, it's happened to me. And I'm sure I'm, 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 if you keep on living, you, you, you understand that it's happened to you. <laughs> And the reason I'm bringing, this, I'm bringing this out is I'm bringing that under the issue of experience. What may have happened is something has happened to me in my experience that's left with me a bad, negative uh, taste in my mouth. So when my wife brings it up, brings anything up that's similar to that experience, I'm not just responding to her, I'm responding, I'll, I'll go back into the archive of 10 years ago when nothing happened to me, 
bang, and I'm responding to that. There is a medical terminology to address that called hippocampus. It's called a hippocampus effect. That has to do with when your brain registers something based on an experience that's happened. It's saved in the archive of a memory. And so now when, okay, okay, let's, let's use an example. Maybe a lady had a, a bad experience. Maybe somebody molested a child, a lady. Okay? And so, the, so a man comes along and touches her in the way that the previous experience happened. That previous experience, she did not want, she did not like, she hated it, and she revolted against it. But now she's in a relationship that is safe, that is loving, but this innocent person touches her in the same way as the other guy did. And the trigger comes on, and bang. And it's wondering, my God, what happened? What happened is, the experience of the bad taste in her mouth or his mouth came back up. And the reason I'm mentioning this is you need to be aware that the people you're dealing with as a single, and even for us as married people, they come with a lot of experience. Some are good and some are bad. And we have a tendency from time to time to pull back the archive and just pull one out and respond to that. So when someone responds to you in a deeper way than what you said to them, you can almost be sure that the hippocampus effect is on. Now, why is that important? Now that I know that is the hippocampus effect, what does that do to me? I understand. Do you understand what I just explained? So, so, so now, if I say something to my wife and she blows up, and I have the understanding that she's blowing up not because of perhaps what I said to her, but because of the experience she's had in the past, I'm more understanding about her blow up. So the situation does not escalate. Lastly, F for family, A for attitudes, C for comfortability, E for experience, and lastly, S for skills. 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 What skills are they bringing to the table? What skills are they bringing to the table that's going to enhance this relational partnership with God? Sweet talk is not enough. It's not enough. What skills are they bringing to the table? Amen? Praise God. Good. We're done. Singles and whole. As far as information. <laughs> Amen. So now, uh, if you have any questions or comments, for the next 20 minutes, I'll take them and uh, we can wrap it up. Amen. Thank you. And if anybody online has any questions, you just send them through the uh, online experience, and uh, we take them as as they come. Thanks, Miss Shade. They're gonna adjust the mic. They're gonna adjust it. Is it on? Yeah. Lower, lower it. That's what you need to. Do. That's all right. That's all right. Good. That's all right. Okay. Thank you so very much, sir, for the discussion. 
But my question is, um, according to First Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 7, it says, sometimes I wish everyone was single, uh, like me. That was for a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. Okay. So how do you know that God has called you to be single? Because I know some youths that don't want to get married for one reason or another. So how do you know that God has called you to be single? That is one. Then I've seen some singles. They go to church. They do everything, but they still have a partner. I don't know what goes on behind the curtain, but they say they are single. Okay, wait, so. wait a minute. Let, let me make sure. That's the second part. They're single, they go to church. Did you say they have a partner or they don't have a partner? Well, let me just use a common example that everybody knows. Okay. Like Oprah, for instance, okay. he has a mate. I mean, she has a mate, but she's single. So my questions are in two parts now. Number one, as a Christian or even a non-Christian, how do you know that you are called to being single? Well, let me answer that first. Do you know you're not called to being single because your hormones are not acting up? You know you're called to be single because your hormones are not acting up. Okay. Okay, so you, you can't. You need me to break it control. control. No, yeah, I understand. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think everybody's... I mean, we are all biological beings. Yes. So one way or, the, or another, your hormones will react sometimes. Well, yeah, but, 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 but if God's given me the grace to be single, then the accompanying grace to being single is the grace to take care of that hormone uh, acting up. So the, the hormone may come up, but it's not an issue for you. Okay. There are some people, it is the issue. Okay. They have to answer the call of the hormone every time the hormone calls. Okay. Do, do you understand that? Yes. Okay. So that is like the only single thing that shows you that you are called to be single. Or well, I, I will not say that's the only single thing, but I'm just, I'm just giving you the most expedient. Uh, otherwise, we'll go into a lengthy discourse here. Uh, be sure that if God's called you to be single, uh, it's because there must be a reason for it. He's just, just not going to call you to be single to be single for being single. There, there has to be some reason for that. Uh, and, uh, because, and the reason we know that is because when he made man, he made a male and female. And he made a male, male and female because he wants to what? Repopulate the earth and all of that stuff. So that's his, but then there may be reasons for which men or women are called to be Enochs. Uh, I am not sure what those reasons are, to be honest with you. No, the, 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 the other reasons, I'm not sure. Uh, but so the other thing will be like Oprah. Yeah, well, just using her as an example, I mean, there are so many singles in this, uh, in the, even in Africa now, that they're like, okay, they're not going to get married, but then they have some side relationships somewhere where yeah. they are satisfying their sexual desires. Yeah, so they're not serious people. Don't listen. Yeah, no, seriously, because what, what they're doing is, they want the thrill without the commitment. And as we speak, late breaking news, the United Kingdom, as of this February, is just passing a law where men, heterosexual couples, can live in civil partnerships, apart from marriage. Heterosexuals can live in civil partnerships without marriage. In England. What does that mean? A man and a woman can hook up. You don't have to get married, but you get the benefits, tax benefits, and all the benefits of being married. 
Yeah. So they're making official. This is not the amount of common law now. This is the, and they're going, to get, they're going to get rid of marriage certificates. Yeah. All right. Any, anybody else? Are you single, Greg? No. M maybe we should give No, I'm happily married. Amen. <laughs> so if there's anyone looking, uh, look somewhere else. <laughs> Certainly not in the house of God. Yes. Okay. Um, Pastor, how can you advise, uh, let me put it this way, advise us on age and timelines and I think I have a reason for that because our young people uh, who intend to get married because it may be from their family background that is what it is and so on and they have some delays maybe they, they've overstayed in school uh, they see time going maybe they didn't they didn't have these hookups early enough and they get to a time where it seems like they want to do these things tomorrow. How does that tie in to our faces? Okay. Well, well, that's where the parental and godly cancer comes in. Uh, nobody should be in a hurry to get married. That, that is the wrong thing you can ever do, to be in a hurry. Hurry for what? Hurry for disaster to happen? No. Yeah, so, so each person should take their time and understand that there's a timing for everything under heaven and that there is no set time to get married. Some have done it as teenagers. Others have done it much later in years. That's not the issue. It's not the length of your marriage that matters. Not the tenor, but the quality of the life you have as a married person. And that is very, very important because a marriage that is having issues can be hellish. So I will counsel them, don't be in hurry. Take your time and make sure you do it right. End of story. All you can do is advise them. You cannot enforce anything. Amen. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. It's on. It's on. Okay. So my question is about, you talked about asking the tough questions. Mm -hmm. So um, say like an individual was hooking up with somebody and you asked them these questions you talked about, like, what do you do in the morning? What's your morning routine? Where is the room for, like, growth? Because a year ago, Very I was the person to check my Instagram or, like, Snapchat every morning before I go to school. Amen. Go by my day. So where do you leave room for growth for who you're hooking up Abs with? And do you just instantly leave? Very good question. I was that person a year ago, too. Very, very good question. I appreciate that. Amen. Amen. That's very good. The question she just asked explains the only valid reason for courtship. 
courtship or as some call it, dating. The time you're in courtship, it's not just time to go and sit in a movie theater and watch these movies and be smooshing and kissing and go to a restaurant and eat and all this crazy nonsense. No! Your courtship time is the time to begin to work on all the things that show up in your assessment that you both, un both understand is not right. So now during courtship, I find out, I say, okay, you wake up in the morning to Instagram and Facebook. And I say to you, honey, you know, we cannot live like that. Social media is not real. <laughs> so, 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 so we have the conversation. And we agree that to really have a fulfilled life, you need to have to, 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 to reorder your priorities. And so you agree on what that new priority is going to look like. And so going forward, you become accountable to one another as to how you are doing with that new priority you just established based on godly values and based on the fact that you are now relational partners with God. You will know how long to court for by how well you've done in fixing all the things that show up. So you just don't come and say, well, Pastor, we want premarital counsel and we're going to be married in, uh, in uh, June uh, 10th. You become the judge and the jury all by yourself. And you're just looking for an endorsement from a pastor to say, well, let's go to... That's madness. That's madness. So your courtship exposes all the area. You've asked all these questions. Family background, okay, nine people in your family went to the penitentiary, two of them were deranged. <laughs> One of them was an arm robber. This one, you know all of that. So, 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 so now, you guys are laughing. Oh, no, seriously, seriously. There are pedophiles in your family, okay, incensed, all of that stuff. That does not mean that those guys are disqualified. It just means you know what you are dealing with and you are saying to them, listen, these things did not happen in isolation. Even though you did not participate, it still affected you. And therefore, let's take the steps to thoroughly disciple you, to make sure that whatever effects this thing has, you are free from them. Yeah, this is not a disqualifier. It's just an evaluation that allows you to know what's going on so you know what to fix. So you may find out that you can have courtship for three months, you're ready to marry. Or it could be three years and you are not ready. Depending on what you find in your assessment period and how you guys are fixing those things. Does that make sense? So thank you for that. That's a very good question. You see, that's why we need more singles to ask questions. You can go ahead. Actually, that's what, that was my question. I wanted to ask you for the family side. Ah, so she answered. wonderful. Amen. That's good. That's good. Okay, Vasya, yes. I have a question. Yeah, yes. How are we going to handle, because the issue of cultural, the cultural background. Yes. Because it's challenging member from different cultures, like my ex-husband is Nigerian, I'm West Indian. Hey! And it you, yes, it became a big issue. Yes. Now, my kids now, I'm the one who's raising them, yeah. so I'm the one who's going to have to deal with that. Yeah. And I know, for example, the way I feel about the situation with the cultural differences, especially Nigerian culture, how am I going to handle it? Because if my kids, for me, have to bring home a Nigerian person, 
going to handle, I don't know how I'm going to handle it at all because of the cultural differences and it's very challenging. Amen. How are we going to handle that? Tell, tell me, me honestly, because the, the truth is my mom is West Indian. In New York, there was such a negative, uh, it was so negative about dating Nigerians. And I was saying to myself, if I did listen to them or most of the island people back there in New York when I was living in New York, I probably would never marry a Nigerian. But the thing is, for me, you have to go with your heart. And you got to go experience. But now, the challenges that I face, and I did face, marrying someone of a different culture, how? Amen. Good question. Very good question. First of all, first of all, let me say this. The one culture that transcends all cultures is the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen. However, that does not disregard the cultures in which we were born or raised. So, in a situation like that, if a person from the West Indies is looking to be hooked up with a person from any part of Africa or a different place, the common ground for both of you, number one, should be the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen. That's number one. Now you must also learn how does that translate to the different places you guys came from or the different understandings you've had up to that moment. And that's why you cannot do it in a hurry. You have to take the time to understand those various or varying cultures and how it factors into where you are now and how you guys are going to live and deal with it. You have to understand it and you cannot ignore it. It will not just go away. And where there are discrepancies that challenges where you are, you guys need to talk about it. You need to understand that this could be a potential issue going forward. Now, for in your case, Vasir, uh, because you have children now, and your children are, are Nigerian, American, West Indians, <laughs> your goal is to give them the kingdom culture, period. And let them gravitate towards any of the goods that comes from a Nigerian culture, American culture, and West Indian culture. Take the good out of each one of those cultures where upon the foundation of a kingdom culture. They will all be better off for it. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. My question has to do with a statement that resonated with me this morning. I'm a principal of a school. For 27 years, I've been in education. And I've been seeing children are gravitating to homosexuality early in their lives. And you said this morning that children are born with deficits, but you did not touch on homosexuality or that imbalance because there are philosophical and biological answers, according to certain researchers, that say 
children are born with and children are not born with. And so my experience, I look at the family background when I deal with certain students and they are not exposed to it necessarily, but it's in their families. And so I'd like you to... Okay, you are taking me the way I didn't want to go. But, <laughs> but thank you anyhow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Amen. So let me first tell you what my position used to be. And then I'll tell you what my position is. My position used to be that whenever I heard anybody said they were born as homosexuals, I immediately say, liar! Impossible! Until about two years ago. True story. Now I have come to believe that there are people who were born with homosexual tendencies. Now let me explain. I know I can hear a pin drop. <laughs> let me explain. It's very, very simple. Homosexuality is a what? Sin. Period. End of story. Is that correct? How about adultery? Is that a sin? Yes. Good. How about alcoholism? Yes. So this is the point. The Bible says, as in Adam, all what? Die. And everything that we have, whether it's Down syndrome, a person being born blind, a person being born with autism, a person being born with any kind of defect is a result of sin. Or if I was born as, with homosexual tendencies, it's not different from being born with any of these other things we just mentioned. No, it's not. Now, the fact that they were born with that tendency, does that mean that they should remain in that tendency? The answer is no. Let me explain. When a child is born with a genetic disorder, the parents do everything they can to get the child help to fix it, to make sure that the, the, the child does not live with any kind of handicap. So if my uh, gay community are saying they were born that way, that I can accept. But what I do not accept is that because you were born that way, you should remain that way. Because if I was born with a tendency to become an alcoholic, do I not seek help? If I was born with a tendency to be a whoremonger, do I not seek help? So as far as the tendency of uh, being born with a sudden tendency, that's out of our hands. Adam put all of us in deep trouble. Sin entered the world. And whether it's homosexuality, whether it's uh, uh, any other genetic dis disorder or special needs, those, all of those things were as a result of the funny nature of mankind. Period. No distinction. 
I know in the church, yes, we are holy and we, we, like, to, we like to ignore and, and say that uh, this thing has a special case. No, it doesn't have any special case. No, no. So I was not born with a homosexual tendency, but I was born to start chasing women. What's the difference? Both of them, God does not like. He doesn't like any of them. So what I'm saying is, ma'am, Thanks for raising the question. The answer is yes, they may have been born with that tendency. Okay? But that does not mean they remain in that tendency. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us out of the old sinful nature and giving us a recreated nature that does not have any of that darkness in it in Jesus' name. Now, like I said to you, I just, this, this position for me just two years ago. Actually, I can tell you how it happened. Pastor Della taught it at our ghost meeting. Yeah. That was the first time I ever heard it. I said, what? But, but in Melody said it, you look at scriptures, it made sense. It made sense. How does one sin differ from the other? What have you been saying? What have you been saying? It's just that we all have different issues, different sins, different... Uh, tendencies, theirs is that and ours is this. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Okay. First one says, do you believe that every marriage between born again Christians is ordained by God? No. The next one says, how should you proceed if your parents don't like your boyfriend or girlfriend? <laughs> okay. The question says boyfriend or girlfriend. It doesn't say fiancé. It doesn't... Well, that's, that's it. That's... that's <laughs> if, if... Especially if they're younger. When I mean younger, if they teenagers and everything like that, if your parents don't like them, ditch them. Ditch them. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. But, but when, you come, when you're an adult, we all want our parents to sign on. Because the Bible teaches uh, that we honor our father and our mother. And it's a command that comes with blessing. So as much as possible, as much as possible, it is very, very important to listen to your parents. Now, there are situations where parents are very dogmatic. They are just dog in based on whatever the reasons are. And when that happens, I will not advise you to violate them outright. I will just say to you, wait and pray. Wait and pray. Wait and pray. And ask God to change your minds. Now, I don't want to go further than that on, on camera. <laughs> well, this last question, I think you already addressed it, but I was really, it says, what if a born-again Christian man or woman decides to be single? Okay. Those are the online questions. Thank you. Dr. Anofak, do you have something? Oh. oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so how do you deal with the situation in which you feel you are ready to be married and you feel that you've been serving God and pre preserving yourself 
for that person, but then still at 35, at 40, you still find yourself single and still serving God at the same time feeling empty. How do you deal with that? Now, thank you. There are two things, just one thing is, there are two things you said there that are mutually exclusive. You cannot be serving God, grounded in God, and be empty. So if there's an emptiness, it's as a result of something that's not whole or complete. You understand what I'm saying? So there are some things as Christians that we throw out, serving God, loving God, that the truth of the matter is when you break them down, you really wonder, am I really serving God? Okay? Serving God is not just coming to church, uh, being on the platform, present worship, working in children's ministry, being an usher, working in audio. Those things are good. Those are essential services in the house of God. But that does not mean I'm serving God. When I'm serving God, whether I'm in church or out of church, the kingdom of God is priority. I'm living for the kingdom, talking the kingdom, doing the kingdom. Amen? So, but like I said, we are all work in progress. Uh, it takes a minute, it takes a hot minute for us to be complete or to be whole. But while we are in that journey, we're constantly growing, we're constantly renewing our mind, and we're constantly trusting God. See, that's why I said, as a whole person, you understand that God loves you unconditionally. So if out of God's unconditional love, you find yourself single at 35 or even 40, because I know that I know that God loves me unconditionally. I say, that's the best thing for me. See, our problem is we are judging ourselves by other people. Who is the standard? Your friend, your father, your mother, your sister, or God? Jesus is the standard. Amen. Let me give an example. I just read this. Uh, this happened during the World War. Uh, Corey Time Boom and her sister. Uh, they were taken to the... Uh, barracks during the uh, Nazi occupation and they threw, they threw them in there and the place was so overcrowded and totally infested with fleas. I mean, it was unbearable. Day one, when they got to the camp, she got with her sister to do the Bible study and they decided to read and pray using First Thessalonians where the Bible says, in all things you give thanks. And Corey said, she challenged her sister that we're going to thank God for everything, but we will not thank God for the fleas. That this is crazy. These fleas are a menace. And the sister insisted, no, we must thank God for everything, including the fleas. Okay? They were in that camp, God knows how many years. Every day they had the liberty to do Bible study and to pray and nobody else outside of the camp had a chance to do that. And the guards never for one day came to bother them until the day they were leaving the camp. They found out the reason why the guards never came in. The guards could not stand fleas. <laughs> so what they were despising in the natural was what God was using to keep them safe, to keep them without harassment, so what I'm saying to you is, you may be single for 35 years or 40 years, and you say, man, oh, I wish I was married. My brother was married at 25. You don't understand what God is protecting you from. Yes. Yes. 
So in all things you give thanks. Why? Because I know him. I know the thoughts he has.